as you are finding your place in the book of Revelation, I will say that this is something that I have talked with you about doing for quite a while. And it took me a little while to gather all of my notes together and to look over them uh, because this is not the first time that I have gone through a study of the book of Revelation. So I have the, I had those notes. I had them put away. I drug them out, opened them up, looked at them, prayed over them, and got received an okay from God to move ahead. And I want you to understand I say that seriously and sincerely because I do not preach anything that I do not feel like God has put upon me to do, nor do I preach anything that I have not gotten His direction to do. So this morning we find ourselves in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. As we read, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who by record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ, and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. When we look at the book of Revelation, I want us to begin with a little bit of history this morning. Not a lot, not a long drawn out introduction to history. But something so you will understand a little about it if you don't already know this. It'll be some good information for you to keep in hand. If you do, maybe it will refresh your memory. The revelation of Jesus Christ to his apostle John. That is important to understand. God spoke through Jesus to John to give the world a warning of things that will shortly come to pass. This is God from his throne in heaven telling us, keep your eyes open. When we are looking around this morning and we look at the news and we see what's taking place around the world, often we wonder, where is God? Well, God is right where he's supposed to be because he has already prophesied and understood that these things are going to happen. God never has anything occur to him. Have you ever thought about that? God is sitting on the throne and you know often we will go through the house or we will be at work or we will be mulling around doing things or we will be looking for the music that we brought for church and it will occur to us that we left it on the desk. Nothing ever occurs to God. He never has that situation. He always knows everything from the beginning to the end and from the end to the beginning. So when he is giving this prophecy through Christ to John to write down for us, it is going to be a fulfilled prophecy. Some of these things have already happened. Some of these things that we're going to look at have yet to happen. Now concerning 
the title Revelation. It is the word that means apocalypse. And that comes from the Greek word apocalypsis. And it means prophetic or looking ahead. So when this writing took place, it was done by by John the Apostle, not John the Baptist, but John the Apostle. And he was on the Isle of Patmos. It was when he was banished. The Isle of Patmos is in the Aegean Sea. It is a real island. It still exists. Writing took place when John was there, and many historians and scholars tell us that John was banished by the order of the emperor Domitian in A.D. 94 or 95. Patmos, now known as Patmosa or Patina, is an island in the Aegean Sea. It is between Acaria and Promontory of Miletus, and it measures 18 miles in circumference. So it's a very small island. Now the Emperor Domitian, he died in September of A.D. 96. And not long after that, all of the exiles, and there were more than John, all of the exiles were brought from Patmos, and they were brought to the town of Ephesus. And it was there where John began to serve as pastor in the, in the town of Ephesus, in the church of Ephesus, until his death somewhere between A.D. 98 and 100. John was the only apostle of the twelve, and thirteen if you count Paul, who lived to die a natural death. All of the rest were martyred, not John. John died of a natural death close to the age of 100, but he was a miracle in that lifetime. He endured a great deal of persecution, a great deal of punishment. John endured many things, but John's faith never wavered. And that's something we can hold true to gain confidence in what we read as we study his works, whether it is the the Gospel of John, whether it is the book of Revelation, whether it is 1st, 2nd, or 3rd John that is written. He wrote all of those five books that belong to our New Testament. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John after he had been, after he had came out of exile, after he had began the pastorate in Ephesus. So why do we begin at chapter 1, verse 1? It's necessary for us to get a picture of the authority of Christ and his purpose for this revelation. If we do not understand Christ, if we don't understand his authority, if we don't understand who he is and his love, and that the book of Revelation was not written in anger, the book of Revelation was not written for God to get even at people. It was written out of love to warn people what to avoid and what to flee from. It is a warning, it is a caution light, a spiritual caution light that is going up in front of everyone throughout time, including today, including in your lives today. It is a caution light that says, be aware and look out because these things are coming and God does not want you to have to suffer through them. God does not want you to have to deal with these things. 
So when we understand the revelation of Christ to the Apostle John, we understand that there are seven churches that are going to fall right behind where we are today. And those seven churches are going to have a very significant meaning. They were, in John's day, seven literal churches. They really existed. There were people there that visited them. There was worship that was there. There was good and bad and ugly inside of those churches. But they also go much farther. They represent the groups of people throughout time that are going to be sitting in churches as well. They represent you. You will find a spiritual image of yourself in one or more of those seven churches when we get to them. Now that may that may be a point where you can say amen and it may be a point where you can say oh me. But I'm giving you a fair, a fair warning in advance. You will see a, a spiritual picture of you in at least one of those churches. So then we will come to the point, and this will come up as we get that far. It won't be today, but I'm giving you a fair warning in advance that it's coming. What will you do to deal with that image? When you see yourself as God sees you, what will you do with that impression? You can go ahead and be thinking about that now and be praying about it now because it's coming. It applies to me. It applies to my wife. It applies to my children, my grandchildren. It applies to those who are walking the streets this morning. It applies to each one of you. The book of Revelation is a very startling and very eye-opening book. It shows us ourselves. And it not only shows us ourselves as God sees us, but it shows us where we are in the timeline of God's creation and of God's prophecy being fulfilled. There will be points in it that will be frightening. There will be images that will be bold. There will be things that will be said and done and, and, and we will have to wonder and ask why. And sometimes we will see the answer in God's word, it will be revealed to us, and sometimes it may not be immediately. So as we start our journey through the book of Revelation this morning, let's remember this is God's prophecy through Jesus Christ to the Apostle John written down for you and I to gain information from today to benefit us in our walk with God. Not to scare us, not to frighten us away from God, but to give us a sobering, real look at who God is and where we are in His timeline. So this morning, notice with me, in the first part of Revelation 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto Him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. That is the significance to the person of Christ. He gave to Christ 
this information. God gave it to him. Too often we hear the word Christian just talked around casually today without any testimony of being saved by grace through faith in Christ. When we think about the authority or the significance of Christ this morning, we need to realize fresh and new who he was and who he is today. He is the incarnate Son of God. Now, incarnate is a very important word. We have infants here among us that were born recently. That was a new life that was brought into the world. When Christ came incarnate as an infant, he was not a new, fresh life. He was existent from before the beginning of time. In John chapter 1, verse 1 of the Gospel of John, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. When that phrase, in the beginning, it's not talking about when Christ came about, and it's not talking about when God came about. It's talking about when creation, when earth was made. In the beginning of earth, God and Christ and the Holy Spirit already existed. And when our time is finished, when the, when the revelation is fulfilled, God and Christ and the Holy Spirit will still be in existence. He is that significant in our life. It is because of the grace of God through Jesus Christ that we are given the privilege of meeting this morning. It isn't because of our thoughts and it isn't because there's some mandate that we have to meet. It is because of the grace of God through Christ. When he died on Calvary's cross, he gave up his physical life. He bled his blood that day to save those from sin who will believe in him. Who will believe in him. And there is the key those who will believe. Many are called, but few are chosen. Why are few chosen? Because few believe. We have to believe in Christ. When we talk about believing, it is not just a mental, academic belief. It is not something that we pick up just by reading enough of the Bible to where it finally clicks academically. Okay, Christ is related to God through this, and he was born to Mary and Joseph, and that's the Christmas scene, and then he died on Calvary, and that's the whole Easter thing, and as long as I understand Easter and Christmas and and this relationship of the birth, then okay, I'm all right with that. That isn't the believing that the Bible talks about. In John 3.16, For God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him, Believeth, when we look at that word, what it means is someone who embraces without having to fully understand. Now that is a wow moment in Christianity. To know that you, you have to embrace Christ fully without necessarily totally understanding Him. Because there are things about Christ that you and I will never know. 
There are things about him that have never been written in Scripture. John, again, at the end of his gospel, he makes it plain that if everything that Jesus done and said while he was here those three, three and a half years, if it were written down, the volumes would be so many that the world couldn't hold them. His depth that he can reach into our lives is something that's unfathomable. We can't imagine it. And we have to understand this going, going into the book of Revelation, and we should understand it as being born-again Christians. If you're saved this morning, you need to have a grasp of what it means to believe in Christ. And you need to have that firmly. You don't have to have all of the answers. God doesn't expect anyone who follows Jesus to have all of the answers because He hasn't revealed them all to us. And the reason why? Faith. How are we going to have faith in Christ? How is our walk with Christ going to be anchored in faith if He gives us all the answers to every question before we ever ask? He wants us to live by faith. Trusting Him to have those answers and reveal them in His time. That is the significance of the person of Christ in the book of Revelation. And there is also a significance that points to the purpose of God. To show His servants things which must shortly come to pass. God has a plan. He has a plan, he has a purpose, and he has a people that it will affect. And a people that he will use and work through to follow through on that purpose. Now, stop and think about this for a moment. What if our generation is that people that this purpose is going to be fulfilled? What if it's our generation? When we go through and we're studying the revelation and we're getting deeper and deeper and deeper into this and we're thinking about, oh my goodness, what those people are going to be going through. What if it is our, us? What if it is you and I where these things are going to start unraveling and start unfolding? It could be. We, I don't know that it is. I don't know that it isn't. But I am just saying that we have to realize and look at the Word of God fully and clearly. Not as it applies to someone else, but as it applies to me. Not as it applies to a future generation, but as it applies to my generation. Not as it applied to those in the past with our grandparents and great-grandparents, but as it applies today. Where is God moving and how is God moving? Where is He going to be moving through? These things are going to shortly come to pass. And you are part of that prophecy. If it doesn't come directly in our generation, in our time, simply because you are hearing the warnings and they are being brought out to you in this study, it makes you a part of this prophecy. How? By the raising of these precious children. Encourage them, teach them, show them, read with them, learn with them. 
Because if it doesn't happen on our watch, it may very well happen on their watch. And having them prepared for it, it's part of the purpose that we're here today, this morning. It is taking, it is learning from God what we need in order to teach to others so they can learn from God. So they can learn from His Word. It has never been meant for one generation to take the Word of God and embrace it and write it down and tuck it away and make it a, make it a special thing that only certain people are qualified to get. You are precious in God's eyes. All of you are individually precious in His eyes. You're so precious. He has given you His Word. His written Word. And now we're looking at it from a prophecy standpoint, from things that will come. Well, not only is there a significance of the revelation, there is a signature. It is for, and it is a signature for John to receive it. So what does that mean? That means that God personally chose the Apostle John. Now in that day and in that time, when a leader made a, made a, a resolution, when that leader said, I want this person to do that, what they would do is they would write it down on a piece of parchment. And they would either fold it up or they would roll it up. And they would pour hot wax on it. And they had a stamp and they would stamp it. And that would be their signature. It would be signified that the leader had said this and had sealed it with their signification or their signature. God is using that same terminology through John to show that he has been the one that God has authorized to write this down. So the arguments out there are that, well, it is just the ideas or the thoughts or the opinions of man. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. We have our Bible, all 66 books of it, because the Holy Spirit moved according to the work and the will of God in his time in order, in order to write down God's word through those men. And then it was preserved. It was preserved until it could be published. And then when it was published, it was translated into languages. And because it's translated into languages, every language in the world is being given the word of God. I have a friend of mine who is a seminary graduate from Southeastern, and he is now in Nashville, Tennessee, but he is a volunteer to Wycliffe Bible Translators, and he is an Old Testament scholar. So what he does is he goes and he reads the Old Testament manuscripts that have that are tens of thousands of years old in some cases, and he translates them into an into a English language, which then is given to someone else who translates it into another language, which goes to a people group in the world that has never heard the Word of God. And that's exactly how we have it today in our language. So it was signified. So God gave it to John the Baptist as his person, as his man to do this work. And this 
This is not only received by John the Baptist, but it is recorded by him to bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and all things that he saw. He did not only bear record of God's word, but he bared the record of what he was told by Jesus Christ and he bared the record of everything that he saw. When we get into the Revelation, you're going to see where John is literally taken from earth into heaven and he is allowed to see into heaven and he writes down what he was told to write down. And then he is brought back to earth to see it fulfilled in the imagery that the Holy Spirit gave him here on earth while he was on that island. These things were not stress related. These things were not heat related. They were not sickness related or illness related. That's the way some people want to sign this off and write this off. They want to say, well, John was on that island. He was exiled. He was sick. He was injured. He had this problem. He had that problem. So he was hallucinating. No, he wasn't. He wasn't. He bore the record as a testimony of the things that he saw. The expression, the word of God, bears uniqueness of this communication. It's specific to what God wants in our lives. He wants us to realize how important his word is. And that's very necessary today. Because as in no time in my life have I seen the word of God doubted as much as it is today. And I'm not talking about just a translation. I'm talking about the quality of it. I'm talking about the reality of it. I'm talking about everything that goes with it. I've never seen it doubted like it is today. Seems like every people group that finds an insult inside the Word of God where it rubs them the wrong way, well, there's nothing to that. That's old. That's antiquated. That's outdated. It doesn't matter anymore. They're wrong. Instead of letting it teach them, instead of letting it show them and reveal to them the shortcomings in their life and the things they need to repent of and the things they need to get right in life, they're pushing it away. Their heart is becoming hard. Their neck is becoming stiff. Their conscience is being seared. And they become aggressive trying to shut it down, trying to destroy it, trying to put it on a shelf. It is unique, the Word of God is. It is unique in that it speaks to each one of us individually as if it was written to us in our own name. To the person, blank, put your name there. The Word of God was written to you personally. Also, when we see the testimony of Jesus Christ, it bears uniformity to that communication. It was not just God from the throne. It was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit that were all involved in it. God the Father brought it on to the face of the earth with God the Son who walked this earth and lived it out 
for three and a half years as a testimony to us. And then when he was taken back to heaven, God the Holy Spirit came who forever bears a witness to this and works inside of our heart as a comforter to those who are saved and a convictor to those who need Jesus. It's uniform in its speaking. The revelation of Jesus Christ in this written word can only be revealed by the Holy Spirit blessing and touching our hearts and our minds. So pray as we go through this study. Pray for the Holy Spirit to move in the hearts and the lives of all those listening and all of those uh, working in it and all of those bringing it about in myself as I study it and yourself as you receive it. Pray that the Holy Spirit will move and have His way in all of our hearts and all of our lives. And for us to know what God wants for and through us is just a starting point. We also need to know what God wants to do with what He has given us. God is giving you this study and this information for a reason. What is that reason? By the time we are finished, by the time we've gone as far as God wants us to go, you will know what you're supposed to do with it. Pray for that understanding. Because it's necessary in your life and in your walk with God. Not only is there a signature, not only is there a significance, there is a singleness in Revelation. In verse 3 we read that blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written. This is actually a beatitude. This is the first of seven beatitudes that are found in the book of Revelation. The next two, chapter 14, verse 3 and 15, 15, relate to the Great Tribulation. The fourth one, 19, 9, relates to Armageddon. The fifth one, chapter 20, verse 6, relates to the Millennium. And the last two, chapter 22, verses 7 and 14, they relate to the celestial city. So this this in chapter 1 verse 3 is a beatitude where God declares the blessedness by our Savior to particular virtues. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words and keep those things which are written. God promises a blessing for those who read, those who hear, and those who keep what's going to be given. So there is a blessing in this for you as a person. There's a blessing in this for your family. There's a blessing in this for this home and for this facility. There is a blessing in it that goes farther than our minds can ever comprehend. Because it was given from God Himself. And finally, this passage, chapter 1, verse 3, reveals that God provides this promise for a period of time. It is for the time at hand. 
Concerning the coming of Christ, the Bible never tells us it is immediate. But we are told it is imminent. And that's a very, very special thing to understand. Immediate would say it is right now. It is coming right now, today, this week, something of that nature. We would know when and we could prepare for it. But imminent means we do not know the day, the date, the time, but we do know for sure and for certain that because it is coming from the Word of God, that it is going to be coming, and it is going to be happening, and it is going to be taking place, and we are given the warning and the preparations for it in order to help ourselves, our families, our children, our grandchildren, our co-workers, our friends, whomever it may be that God puts us in front of with it. We need to learn that the Bible shouldn't be put aside. Revelation tells us many things about history as well as prophecy. But it also shows us that everything else that is written in the Word of God, from Genesis to Jude, everything behind it, is there for a purpose. And if we accept the authority of the book of Revelation, then we must also accept the authority of everything else in God's Word. We can't deny one and accept the other. So this morning as I close this message, I want to ask, did you know truly in your heart that you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? That's a yes or a no answer. There's no maybe, there's no I think so, or if, if you have to say I think so or I hope so, then the answer is probably no. It's probably no. Because we can know in our heart and in our life if we have accepted Christ and if He is our Lord and if He is our Savior, we can have that confidence this morning. If you do, if you are certain of that point in time, are you prepared spiritually to move into this study? Are you prepared to take the information that was given in this introduction today, apply it to your heart and life? Are you spiritually ready to make this move where we're going to begin going? Where we're going to see what must shortly come to pass. Where we're going to see images of things that Hollywood can't recreate. We're going to see images of things that uh, that man can't can't put together in their imaginations. Because these are spiritual things that are going to happen physically in a real world where God and the devil are going to face off. And they're going to face off in our presence. And we're going to be part of that battle. So the question comes, where are you in your relationship with God because it is vital to you. Whether another word is spoken out of the book of Revelation or not, it is vital to you in eternity. Where you are and where God is with you. So as we pray this morning, if you need to know more, if you need to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you need to get things right with Him, if you need 
to pray. and You just need to talk to Him about some things. It is an opportunity for you to do that. I'll be glad to meet with anyone and everyone and spend time with you if that is where God is leading. Let's close in prayer, please. Heavenly Father and Lord God, thank you. Thank you for what you've given. Thank you for everything that you have provided. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for all of the love, for all of the attention that you've given us. Lord, I pray for each one gathered here today. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would touch hearts and lives, and I pray that you would prepare them spiritually for the journey that we're going down. Lord, I pray if one here today that isn't saved, that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, God, I pray that you would touch their heart, that they would believe, and they would reach out, and they would accept you, and they would ask for forgiveness of their sin. Heavenly Father, I love you and I thank you for everything you've done, everything you've given. I thank you for the privilege of sharing your word today. And everything that's said and done, may we all be able to say and glorify that Jesus is the Son of God. May everyone say, Amen and Amen.